Welcome to Real Estate Investing in the Real World podcast. The topic of this episode is what every landlord should know about property management, and ideally, before they buy their first property. Hi, I'm Phil Pustiowski. I'm a full-time real estate investor. I'm a real estate mentor and coach to many of the market-leading real estate investors across North America. I have done a tremendous amount of deals in my career. And in this video, I'm going to share with you some simple principles that can make a dramatic impact on any rental properties you own. And in fact, this stuff is so simple, it, it almost is surprising. But what I've discovered is when you deviate from what I'm about to share with you, uh, that's when big problems occur. So I hope that what you learn in this video is going to save you a tremendous amount of money. It's going to uh, reduce a whole lot of heartache and hopefully make you much more profitable with your rental units. All right, let's get started. Uh, and not necessarily in any particular order, but the first one I'm going to share with you, the first principle, uh, is by far the most important. It is this, choice of tenant. Choice of tenant. It has been my experience that 90% of all property management can be summarized in this concept right here, choice of tenant. Choice of tenant. Now, as a landlord, uh, you can choose your tenant based on their financial qualifications. You can't discriminate based on race, uh, religion, and that sort of thing. But you can discriminate based on their credit score, based on their job, based on their income, based on their debt-to-income ratio, uh, based on what they did at their last uh, place that they rented from, and all those things, right? So their application, you can deny their application. This right here is the biggest problem landlords experience. They choose unwisely. Why? Well, my argument is because they do a lousy job of marketing for tenants, so they don't get very many applications, and so they end up uh, choosing from a bad set, from a bad list of potential tenants. So it starts with good marketing, really getting your property out there so everybody can see it, so the entire marketplace knows that your property is for rent. Um, it also means that you need to price it correctly. If the rent's too high, you'll get a whole lot less people looking at it. So assuming you get the, the, the right mix of people looking, then it boils down to choosing the right tenant. Now, I won't be able to give you all the information on how that works in a video like this. Um, it really is more of a, an art uh, and a skill that you acquire. My, my mentor actually owned a, a payday loan store at some point in his career, and so he knew all about qualifying people. Uh, but I'll shortcut it for you here, and it's this, job. So I'll make a little bitty note there, uh, job. What their job is, is, is more important than almost anything else. So uh, I've definitely seen where some uh, investors think that if you buy homes in nicer areas, higher uh, priced properties, that you get necessarily better tenants. Uh, I, I can't find from my testing that that's correct. High income, low income, to me none of that matters. Uh, whether, no matter what their income level is, it has more to do with how they create that income. Um, the worst is self-employed. Worst. Because they're the ones that are going to call you up one day and say, Oh, Phil, I'm so sorry, I can't pay the rent. But you know, two months from now, Phil, I have this big job coming up and I'll pay for like eight months. Uh-uh. You don't want self-employed. The best, 
nurses. Nurses are my favorite tenants because number one, they always got a job, uh, always, no matter what part of the country. Uh, number two, if they fall behind on payments, which tenants do, when they fall behind, a, a nurse can pick up extra shifts. So I love nurses. I can't stand self-employed. So job makes a huge uh, determining factor, but also there's more to it. You look at their income, uh, their credit score, what's going on, and choose the best one. You know, this is an opportunity to choose a good one. Don't choose one just because they have a nice sob story. Uh-uh, choose a good one. Check out their references, call their references. I do, uh, I mean, you, I'll go more into that in just a moment. Okay, choice of tenant, absolutely huge. All right, you, you get that. Uh, next, and this is very obvious, so uh, don't think this is uh, rocket science, cash flow. Property has got to cash flow well. It's got to bring in a lot of good money because all kinds of things can go wrong. And you need a buffer, you need a, a, a margin of safety so that you're always bringing in cash even if the hot water heater breaks down, even if the AC unit breaks, you've always got uh, money coming in. And if you're just barely breaking in even, it's not even worth it, not worth it at all. Uh, which brings me to this next point of reserves. So it's very similar to this, but you gotta have reserves if you're gonna have rental property because things go wrong. Mostly what goes wrong is the tenant doesn't pay you and you have to evict them. And so they don't pay you, so there's two or three months of empty house payments and you have to pay for the attorney. And then when they move out, you gotta pay to fix up the carpet and, and some other things. So you gotta have reserves. It's, it's interesting, being a, a, a landlord and owning rental property, uh, this is kind of like funny money because you get it, but then you may have to give it back, you know? And so it's, you, what we do a lot to, to uh, overcome the reserves problem is we do what's called a rent to own. On our single, you can do it on your single family homes anyways. With a rent to own, you get an upfront down payment. You know, it could be three, five, seven thousand dollars and that usually is your reserves. There's your, that problem solved. They give you $5,000 down to move in and they rent the property. You still want it to be cash flowing, but you also have a nice reserve of 5,000 in case things go wrong uh, because oftentimes things do go wrong. Okay, speaking of things going wrong, uh, you definitely need to know your local laws. Your local laws. It's interesting because these laws can change dramatically from county to county. Not even from state to state. We're talking, it's usually on a county-specific basis. Um, so you need to read your Landlord and Tenant Act. Landlord and Tenant Act. Landlord and Tenant Act for your county. And you need to make sure you understand all the nuances of it. I mean, little things, like you may have to put screens on all of the windows. Uh, and if you don't, then you're not, um, you're, you're not, you're not, um, doing the, the Landlord and Tenant Act correctly. And where does that become a problem? Well, I'm gonna to get to this in a second, but that's when you try to evict somebody. When you try to evict somebody is when they try to find every loophole to ruin your life. And so that's where you wanna make sure that you've got all of your T's crossed and your I's dotted, and that's when you need to know your local laws. Now, that means that once uh, you decide you're gonna own a rental property, before you put a tenant in there, you need to prepare for eviction. You need to prepare for this. Now certainly part of that preparation is knowing your local laws. But what I would argue is even more important is that you take your lease that you're going to use and you bring it to your eviction attorney. Right? And if you don't have one, 
Make sure you find a great eviction attorney that does a lot of evictions in that county. The more evictions they do per week or per month in the county that the property is located, the better they are because they have more experience. Take that, um, that rental agreement to that eviction attorney and say, what needs to be in here to make it easy for you to evict? And then you need to ask them, what else are you going to want from me when I bring a file to you to evict somebody? So they may say, well, we, we want to see a copy of their driver's license. Uh, we want to see, you know, they, they, we want to see uh, bank uh, account information, credit card. They, they only want to ask for all kinds of stuff. And uh, what that means is get that up front and um, sometimes called the honeymoon phase. Before the tenant moves in, you get all the information that that eviction attorney is going to want. Uh, because a lot of time what the eviction attorneys are going to do is they're going to charge a small or reasonably small fee to evict the person. And then they're going to go after that person to collect the back rent. And whatever they collect, they, they keep like 30% of. So their goal, of course, is to hound these people, track them down. And the more data you have on that person, the easier it is for the eviction attorney to track them down. You may be going, whoa, tracking people down, collecting, whoa, Phil, I'm, I don't want to be that kind of landlord. That brings me to my next point. Preparing for eviction means that you have to be prepared to evict somebody. And if you don't have the stomach for that, if you don't want to kick people out of houses, don't own rental property. I know it's pretty strong, wasn't it? Don't do it. It's okay. You don't, you don't have to make, you don't have to be in the landlord business to be wealthy in real estate. In fact, there are plenty of landlords of hundred, like hundred home uh, kind of portfolios that will just beg and plead, do not own rental property. You know, there are plenty of landlords that would rather, in fact, they all, a lot of them sell off their, the rental units and get into just flipping houses because it's, they like it better. I'm not saying you have to be in this business. So have the ability to say no to the whole business if you don't want to evict people. Because that's a rule. If you're going to be a landlord, you need to evict. Because if you don't, if you let people live in homes um, and, and not pay you and, and, and take advantage of you as a landlord, you train them. And so the next place they go, they're going to do the same thing and the same thing. And so you're doing a, a disservice to society if you're not evicting people. And so that's why I say just don't even be a landlord if you don't want to evict someone. If the whole concept of kicking somebody out of a house because they didn't pay you their rent is something you can't stomach, then just don't do it. All right, we covered that. Good deal. All right, so evict when someone doesn't pay you. So that means that you keep a strict system. If they don't pay you on the 1st, maybe they have till the 5th and with a late fee to pay you. And if they don't pay you on the 5th, start eviction. That's how you make it roll. You do it like that every time. Because here's what happens. They learn. They learn real quick that you don't give grace periods. You say, look, it's due on the 1st. Between the 1st and the 5th, there's a $50 late fee. If you don't pay me on the 5th, on the 6th, the file moves to the attorney. You will not hear from me again, and the attorney starts the eviction process. It's that simple. That keeps them in line. Okay, another thing you can do here, and I, I'm a big fan of this, is to um, auto-collect payments. So, rather than waiting for the check in the mail, what you do is you suck the money out of their bank account at the first of the month. So what you can do is you can set up what's called a merchant account. Now that takes a little bit of money, but not much. Um, and there's, there's some good options these days, whether it's PayPal, whether it's Square. Uh, easy, simple ways to get a merchant account. 
I think the best merchant account comes from your local bank or the, the place that you, you, you do your business banking at. But you could hire a third-party firm to do this, but I think it's better for you to have your own merchant account. Suck your own payments out of there. And so what you can do is you can get their credit card information as well as their bank account information. So if it doesn't come out of the bank, you can pull it from the credit card. And if it's done on autopilot, here's what's also really nice. They know that it's coming out on the first, and they know there's no way to stop that. It's going to happen one way or the other. And so they're forced to get the money into their bank account so that that gets pulled out, and so they don't get a whole bunch of NSF fees. Does that make sense? I learned this, I mean, by the way, what I'm sharing with you, most of this I learned the hard way. I discovered that tenants will pay their utility bills simply because it was on auto draft. And so when I was asking them for a check or they were mailing a check in, the problem was sometimes a check was late. Well, with auto collect, nothing's ever late. It's always on autopilot. Now, if they don't have the money in the account and you try to get into the credit card um, and they don't have any money on the credit card, well, then, you, you know, they literally have until the 5th, and if, they don't, if you don't get the money, then you just start the eviction. It's that simple. Okay, so auto-collecting payments can make a, uh, a very big difference in, um, in your ability to make this thing automated but ensure you get paid. All right, so the next one is stay close to home. Stay close to home. Some of you watching this video may have already broken this cardinal rule. <laughs> You may own a, um, what they call a turnkey property far away. You know, maybe you, you live in Canada and you own a, a turnkey property in, in Florida. Um, I think it's so much better to own all of your rental properties very close to home where you can just drive over to them. Because you want to keep an eye on your real estate. You want to keep an eye on what's going on. So maybe once every, uh, every six months or every year, you drive over to the property and you, maybe you have to give the tenant notice. But you drive over to the property and you, uh, you take a look. You see what's going on. Uh, you see if they've got a they've got a pet that they said they didn't have before. You find I mean so you find out what's going on, and so being close to home is so important to keep an eye on your portfolio, on on your rental property. Um, if you do have long distance rental properties, my my suggestion is to sell them. Uh, again, every situation is a little different. Uh, but uh, me personally, when I moved from Nashville uh, to Florida, uh, I slowly had to sell all my rental properties. I tried. I tried to keep them and, and try to manage them long distance, considering I have such a great team I'd already built in Nashville. Nothing, nothing replaces you yourself being there. Nothing replaces it. Okay. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, I'm sure a lot of people may be asking themselves this question, is what are my thoughts on hiring a property manager? Hiring a property manager. All right. The, the, the challenge with a property manager is usually how much they're they're going to cost. Now, a, a property manager for say a 150 unit apartment complex is, is a lot different than the property manager of a single family home. Uh, because there's a lot of economies for scale on, on a large apartment building. But for a property manager on a, you know, I'm gonna say a SFR, single family home, they're gonna take 10% of the gross, of the gross, okay? That's the gross rent coming in. Now, 10% of gross is usually 50% or more of the net cash flow. So you're just turning over a gigantic amount of money for a relatively small responsibility. 
Now, on the other side of the coin, if you have the time and the ingenuity and the um, initiative, start your own property management firm. Property management makes a ton of money over time once you build up a big portfolio. Uh, so, because 10% of gross is a ton of money. So, my big issue with a property manager has to do with how expensive they are. Because they also usually charge the entire first month's rent, or close to it, to put a new tenant in there. But here's the other thing. They're not going to advertise and market heavily as much as you would. Because that's... They've, they've got a lot of stuff going on. They're going you know, to put their ad out. They're going to do a couple of things, but they're not going to go heavy the way you would. So typically, their choice of tenants is a smaller pool, which is less likely to have a great opportunity for a, an awesome tenant in that small pool. And so they charge you a full month's, first month's rent to fill the property, but their choice of tenant usually is never as good as what yours would be. Um, if you already have a great eviction attorney in place, then fantastic that you you that's pretty much most of the battle. You're auto collecting your own payments, so you don't have to hire them for that. And if you're like, well, I don't really want to mess with it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are you really messing with? You know, you gotta ask yourself that question. And if if 10% of gross is a hundred dollars a month, and once every five months you've got to talk to the tenant and call them up and say, hey, where's your rent money? Is that worth five hundred dollars for one phone call? Yes, it is. Um, another thing is a property manager usually is going to call a handyman to go fix a property. Well, you can do the same thing. Property managers usually, when they call a handyman, they usually get some sort of referral fee from the handyman for sending the job. Now, I'm not saying property managers are bad. Some of them are actually fantastic. In fact, they're just incredibly awesome because they know the local laws real well. They have a great eviction attorney. They auto-collect the payments. They already do all these things, right? Um, the problem is they're just so darn expensive. So uh, maybe if you've got a huge portfolio and you can negotiate a better deal on the on the property management and it's worth it to you, uh, then, then fantastic. Uh, but by and large, if you follow what I just shared with you here on this video and, uh, and you do a great job with just these simple principles, uh, there's really no need to hire a property manager because it's really all about choice of tenant. You ought to collect the payments. And if something goes wrong, you just call a handyman. I mean, those are the kind of things, and plus, here's the other big thing. You know, this goes back to the stay close to home. You know, if you just let a property manager handle everything, then you lose sight of your asset, and you lose sight of what's going on there. You've got to keep your eye on your assets. It is so critical that you don't just let it all, you know, be dealt with somebody else. I mean, we're not talking about a ton of work here, and so that's why I mean, you meant to drive over to the house to see how the contractor did to maybe replace the AC. Okay, that's part of it. But again, if you're bringing in good cash flow, it's worth it. So you see all these things wrap back around to each other? If the cash flow is strong enough, it's worth an extra drive over to the house to make sure the contractor did the work correctly. Or if the tenant is complaining about something really, really bad, and you send a handyman over there to take a look, and they call you back and say, hey, before I do any work, I want to run some things past you. I mean, it's just a, a couple of phone calls. And if you have a great tent, you may literally never hear from them for like two, three years. They just pay the rent, it automatically comes out on the autopilot, and they're just happy as can be. And all you do is once a year, once every six months, you just take a look at the property and make sure everything's good. Okay, so I've got one quick bonus principle, if you will. Um, funny story. 
so uh, an individual I, I knew back in Nashville, um, he went to the setout. Okay, so the setout. Uh, I'm going to put it next to eviction. The setout is where if the tenant hasn't paid, and then the judge uh, goes to he goes to eviction court, and then the judge says, "Hey, if you're not out by the 28th, you're going to be evicted." Um, then a sheriff, along with a setout company, think of them like a moving company, they're going to show up on the doorstep of the house, and the sheriff's going to knock on the door, and if it's locked, he's going to he's going to um, he's going to pick the lock or have a locksmith there. They're going to open the house up, and literally the moving company, if you will, is going to take every piece of furniture and take it out of the house and set it out, set out, set it out on the front lawn or on the driveway. Okay, that's a set out. They happen, right? So if you're a landlord, it's going to happen at some point. All right, so this individual I knew, he, uh, he wanted to see the set out because he knew this tenant, and he was just so mad about what the tenant did to him, and he wanted to watch this, you know? He wanted to kind of relish in the fact that this guy's getting stuff kicked out, you know? So he's just he's sitting there um, kind of at a safe distance watching this thing happen. Now, he drove there in his Lexus. Bad idea. So here's what happens. They start pulling the stuff out the front door, right? And they're, they're dragging couches and TV and just everything. And this tenant just storms out the door, goes to his car, and he just peels out down the street. And then you hear him go, he stops. He hits reverse, and he, he kind of turns his car around to be like a, a perpendicular, if you will, to that Lexus. And so this is, this is the guy's car. And he just goes, boom, boom, boom. And he just starts rear-ending uh, to the side of the car, this Lexus. And you just, you know, there's just metal flying. I mean, of course, the tenant's rear end of the tenant's car is getting just uh, you know, trashed. But also, that Lexus is getting destroyed, too. And uh, anyway, so he had to, of course, get a ride from the sheriff and call the uh, call his insurance company. Uh, point of the story is uh, don't go to the set out.